0: I'm pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today is, I think, part three uh, in the series I've been doing called Magic Evolution, where I go through all the Magic sets and talk about what um, sort of what design evolutions got added by each set. Um, so last we talked, I went up through Earth's Destiny, which means we start today with Mercadian masks. And I will be honest, Mercadian mask block is not. Uh, the easiest uh, block to talk about in this regard. Um, So the funniest thing about Mercadian Mask is probably the biggest lesson Mercadian Mask from the design standpoint was something we didn't do rather than something we did. Um, So when we made Mercadian Masks. it actually had some mechanics in it. Uh, It had um, both the rebel mechanic and the mercenary mechanic. Uh, We had a bunch of... um, pitch cards, I mean, there there was things in it, there were mechanics in it, but we didn't label any of them, none of them were named, Um, and a weird thing happened, which was people were upset that we didn't have any mechanics. Um, It's something I hadn't anticipated until it happened, um, which was, you know, like, clearly there were mechanics in the set, there were new things in the set, but when we didn't label them, we didn't name them. I was really interested, the reaction of the audience was, why didn't you make new things? Uh, And it really was an eye-opening thing for us to realize, like, how important labeling what we were doing was. That how much of, I mean, magic always has new cards, and the cards do things, and that it was really, uh, like, for the designers, when you're sort of, you know... um, you know, working under the hood, use my uh, analogy here. Like you're really aware of all the differences. Like, oh, clearly there's these 18 cards that perform in a similar function, and you know, clearly these are a new thing. Um, what we realized is that you need a little bit of telegraphing. You need, you know, that that when people sort of look at something and, and they pick out something new, the labeling was important. Um, now, the interesting question there is that that's not even about changing the mechanics as much as it is about sort of how you present them. Like, one of the big things I want to get across when we talk about evolutions is design evolutions are not just learning a new way to do things from a mechanical structural point. some ways, it's something as simple as, oh, we need to label the things we do. We need to communicate what we're doing. Um, and I think as we go along, we get more and more willing to label things. Um, remember, we're still at a point in time where the way we thought about sets was they had two new mechanics. You know, That's not at all how we sort of think of things modern day. Um, but, but early magic, it was very much like there will be two new mechanics. Let's explain the two new mechanics. Um, and we were also in the mindset early on that blocks didn't add new keyword mechanics along the way. Now, we're starting to get to the point where that changes, but we, we're not quite there yet. Um, we're, we're still in the mindset of the first block introduces the keywords for the block, and then there's evolution, and there's minor changes, and there's, you know, there could be new mechanics in that there's a cycle of cars or something, but not named mechanics. That took a little while to get to. Um, Mercated masks also is interesting in that we brought back pitch cards. So pitch cards, for those who don't remember, were, they first appeared in alliances, they were cards that instead of paying the mana cost, you could discard a card of the same color. Sometimes you paid to life. Um, so we started messing around in Mercadian Masks with doing alternate costs. So not just pitch cards, but other alternate costs. Maybe I give you life. Maybe I have to sacrifice land. Now we had, Magic had, had messed around and it's not like Mercadian Masks was the first set to ever give alternate costs. Pitch cards, obviously, were alliances, but there have been other individual cards. There's a card in Visions. I mean, there are individual cards that let you do this. Um, but we really messed around with it as a theme for the first time. And there's a lot of interesting sort of us experimenting with what can you do other than spend a cost. Um, like, there's a card, uh, I think it's McKinney Mass, where you give your opponent life. It's a, it's a giant, I'm blanking the name of the card, but it's a giant growth, and you give your opponent life rather than pay for the cost. Uh, I know that card ended up going in Poison Decks because if I'm trying to poison you out life is meaningless so the fact that I could have a free giant growth and the offset of doing it doesn't matter in the deck I'm building it made it sort of super synergistic with uh, with um, um, in a deck pl- I mean in a deck playing um, playing in, in, in fact um, other than that I remember this, this whole block was not magic at its finest. Um, I mean, like I said, there's interesting things we played around with. And there's, like, you know, even when you look at sort of the rebel and the mercenary mechanic. Um, I I guess the other idea there was, so the rebel mechanic was a mechanic that built up. And the mercenary mechanic was a mechanic that built down. What that meant by is a rebel mechanic, if it was a a two-drop, it could get you um, a three-drop. And the mercenary mechanic, if it was a two-drop, it could get you a one-drop. And what happened was, the rebel mechanic was really powerful, and the mercenary mechanic was not powerful at all. Um, so, the interesting lesson there about sort of um, the sequencing of how things happen, and that in general, when your mechanic matches the flow of the game, it's more powerful. When it fights the flow of the game, it's less powerful. So, for example, you want to, with a one-drop, get a two-drop, um, but a two-drop getting a one-drop is just not as powerful, and so... Um, really the, the natural state, you know, so the the things that sort of push you toward along the way the game plays is where a lot of power lies. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to do that already, I now have something that sort of plays into the space of how the game naturally functions tends to be stronger. Now, sometimes we push against that tension and make something that isn't exactly how you would do it, but it's powerful enough that maybe one think about doing it. Um, but I think the rebel mechanic definitely sort of taught us the idea of understanding the flow. Also, I think it's the first time, It's that our first tutoring mechanic? Um, we start to l- learn with time that tutoring mechanics are dangerous, uh, and the reason for that is one of Magic's great strengths is um, the fact that you shuffle your deck means each game is radically different from the other. That what's going to happen in this game? I don't know. I've shuffled my deck. I don't know what order I'm getting things. But tutoring mechanics would say, well, once you get card A, it'll get card B it starts making um, the randomness stop happening as much. And that magic is just not as good a game if things just start playing out more similarly. Um, And while that doesn't mean we can never have tutoring, we do have tutors from time to time, um, it does mean that tutoring mechanics are problematic. Now, we won't learn this lesson right away. This is a lesson we're going to learn a little bit down the path. There's more tutoring mechanics to come. Um, But this was our first, really, exposure of seeing the power of, of tutoring mechanics. The mercy mechanic was pretty strong. Okay, now we get to Nemesis. So Nemesis... um, The thing that always stands out in my mind from Nemesis are the seals. So the seals were a cycle of five enchantments that were basic effects, but instead of being uh, uh, an instant or a sorcery, they were enchantments that you could sacrifice for free. So for example, Seal of... um, Seal of Cleansing was a disenchant. Um, And Seal of... What were they called? There, There was a destroyed target creature there was a do you know two damn there was a shock um seal fire i think um anyway the the interesting thing about it is this idea of shifting when you pay the costs was something that we were playing around with now seals have their issues um we tend not to make proactive um we don't make as often proactive ones um I'm sorry, is that right? We, we, we tend not to make ones that keep the opponent from doing things because they know the threat is there. Um, what we learned is there's a lot of power to surprise and that if you have a way, for example, to kill a creature and they don't know it, well, they're going to continue to play their game as normal. If you show them that you have a way to kill their creature, it sort of makes them less inclined to want to do things. Um, and so what we found was seals could, in the, when you make the wrong kind of seals, it inhibits gameplay... And so we've been kind of careful how we do that. It's not that we never make them, but we tend to do things that are not reactive to the opponent. So, for example, if I'm going to draw cards, look, that doesn't stop me from doing anything. I'm going to spend mana now so later I can draw cards. Okay, that's fine. Um, my opponent doesn't go, oh, I better not do things because you're going to draw cards. Now, if I play a, a creature kill spell or a direct damage spell where I now affect you and you have to sort of consider what you're going to cast because what I have, that tends to sort of slow people down. So we're, we're less inclined to do stuff like that. Um, Nemesis, I'm trying to remember. I mean, the, the, this whole block was, was not necessary. I mean, I guess we learn things in the block by trying things and then realizing they don't quite have the impact we wanted. Um, I mean, Nemesis... It, well, one of the most interesting things about Nemesis, by the way... ...is creatively we did something we hadn't done before... ...which is most blocks we'd gone somewhere and we were there. You know, when we are, we're in Mirage... ...we're in Mirage, that's where we are. Uh, this set was interesting in that Mercadian Masks took place on Mercadia. Um, Nemesis did not take place on Mercadia. Nemesis took place on Wrath, um, mostly. Uh, and then Prophecy took place on back on Dominaria. Um, so it's us messing around in the idea of... ...telling the story a little bit different... Um, it definitely influenced a little bit about how we told stories, and you could see side. Um, a block, for example, also had some sets where we were jumping around a little bit. I, I, think, I think what we found was we were confusing people a little bit, so we were a little more careful about where we were and telegraphing where we were. I think a lot of people didn't realize at the time quite where Nemesis took place, because Mercadia Mass had been in Mercadia. We introduced Mercadia. And the funny thing is, in a block, you continue the mechanics... Um, and so people sort of assume there's continuity of, of place because there's continuity of other elements of the game. Um, and I know Nemesis confused people some for that. Okay, then we get to Prophecy. So Prophecy... Um, I, I mentioned this before. Um, I think Homeland is the design magic set, but Prophecy's up there. Prophecy definitely... Um, so what Prophecy did was it was a very, very spiky set. What William, William Jockish was, the lead designer... William was really interested in sort of pushing the idea of um, testing resources. And so, like, the Rhystic Mechanic... um, No, there was a mechanic with a name that was in the small set. We're starting to shift a little bit about how we do that. Um, The Rhystic Mechanic was about (coughs) the... um, I got a spell which was cheaper than normal, but I gave my opponent the ability to spend two mana to stop the spell. Um, the way I joked about it is, it's the spell spell mechanic with a built-in counter spell. Hey, I get a cool thing, but you can counter it. You know. Um, and also, there was a lot of land sacrificing. Um, William was really playing around with the idea of of mana um, sort of management of how to know you know when do I know when to sack a land and save a land and spend the, spend mana not spend mana. Um, you know, the idea behind Ristic was. Look, if I know my opponent has Rhystic things, I kind of want to leave mana up. But I leave mana up, then I restrict sort of what I can cast. And, you know, the thing that William was playing around with was really the idea of there's these interesting, very minute choices you have to make. What we found from that was most players didn't care about making those choices. And so what ended up happening was it it didn't have the impact that William had thought. William was a really spiky player, you know— yes, there are players that are like, okay, I'm going to telegraph my opponent has a Rhystic card, and yes, I could cast something, but my board position means I, I'm better off playing against a Rhystic and not doing something. and Like, like decision-making that was... like One of the things you have to be careful of when you design Magic is there's many ways to play Magic. There's many different kinds of players and stuff. And that if you gear your set too much toward one style of play, you alienate other players. That... If I want to have a path for you to go down, I want to make sure that there are other paths for you to explore. But this set went all in on this sort of... The man and management thing that... Like, if you... If you don't care... Like, my analogy is... I used to play Dungeon Dragons when I was younger. Um, I I just don't have time now. It's an awesome game. Um, And that one of the things when I was uh, a dungeon master for it is trying to figure out... There's a rule in... in, um, D&D about sort of weight, how much you can carry. And kind of what I decided when I was dungeon mastering is, look, be reasonable. I'm, I'm not going to let you do crazy things, but it's not worth the energy carrying. It's not like, oh, well, how much weight do you have and how strong are you and what, like, like, like we'll, we'll keep a, you know, look, I, I, I say to people, you got to carry something reasonable. If you start trying to be unreasonable, I can call you on it, but I'm not, I'm just not going to spend the energy doing that. Now, there are people that are really into to, to that, of, okay, how much can I care and what's the weight, and what does it mean if I carry a certain amount, it's going to tire me out, and there's people that really get into that sort of, the realism of trying to match that. The kind of player I was, I didn't, and I didn't make my players do that. Um, th- there's a similar quality that um, if you sort of make people care about something they don't want to care about, it's just not fun for them. And in case of, of prophecy, they just didn't care, the problem with the whiristic wasn't that they were constantly thinking about how to not get counter if you were, it's just they would walk into it left and right. They weren't anticipating it, so they'd walk into it, and then just it became this again and again, like just constant disappointment. Because the style of how they played was, they were like, I'm not going to spend the energy caring about that, and then just it was unfun for them. Um, and it wasn't enough of motivation to change their behavior, so it was just sort of like, okay, this is just inherently unfun for me. You've got to be really careful about that. Um... That doesn't mean you can't have moments of of cool spikiness for for the spikes out there. But it can't be something that is, at the same time, not going to make other players happy or not give other people routes to to how to play. And Prophecy really kind of went full throttle on that. Um, The one other thing Prophecy did, which in my memory is the first time I remember doing this, is the idea of uh, KSP is what we call uh, key selling points, uh, what we call KSP rares which is a rare cycle that's like, hey, look at me. I'm just this really cool thing that might excite you to want to buy this product. And, um, I mean, now, our cycles sometimes are not mythic rares rather than just rare, um, you know, the gods of something or whatever. Um, But the idea of doing something, and we had uh, both the wins and the avatars of really high-profile sort of sexy um, KSPs. That was something that Prophecy had done that I don't... I think that's the first time we did it was in Prophecy. And it really became something we we went back to of saying, look, we want to do something high-profile, something we really, you know, we'll draw attention to it. We'll do a cycle so every color gets one. um, You know, and that we'll do something that really makes sense and feels rare or later mythic rare, when mythic rare Rare didn't exist at the time. Um, And both the wins and the advertisers were like, I'm either a really powerful creature, legendary creature, or I'm a very powerful um, spell and oh, these are really cool and they do powerful things and you might want these and and, and they're big and bombastic and um, something that's real sexy. I mean, more more teeny, obviously, but but um, something that that really um, ex- could ex- excite players. Um, now, be aware that these cards were um, you didn't need to play this card. The difference between the rustic thing and. Is that when I put something in a mechanic that's all the way down to common as a high as fan, it's hard not to care about it. When I make a cycle of rare cards that you can sort of opt in if you want to, also these cards are really good and limited. Um, then it can get you excited, makes you want, makes you want to buy more packs, but it doesn't, it doesn't sort of push you in a situation where, let's say you don't like these cards, it's fine. You can trade them away. You know, it, it, it's trying to balance the idea of not everything has to be for everybody, but the thing is it's not making the gameplay have to follow a certain style of play, which is where Ristic went wrong. Making cards that might excite a subset of players, um, but that don't dictate sort of the gameplay necessarily. Uh, that's the difference, I guess. It was, why why making Timmy Rares was fine, but making spiky a spiky mechanic a common ended up causing us problems. Okay, after Prophecy, after the Mercadian Mask block, was Invasion block. Um, so Invasion... Was the start of the third age of design. So Invasion was a really important set. Um, first off, Invasion was the idea of blocks that had a theme to them. Mechanical. mechanical theme to them. This was the multicolored block. Um, now that might seem... One of the things that's funny is when you, I talk about Innovations, once you're used to the Innovations, it, it, like I, I, I've told the story before about how I would take film history classes and the professor would stop and say, see this? This is the first time ever that film did this. And the problem was, without the teacher telling you that, it doesn't even seem noticeable because films do that. The fact that it was the first time that it was done is important and, is, like, it's hist- historic, but it's hard to see sometimes without knowing the context. Because, like, oh, oh, they, they used to not do that before this, but now it's so ingrained in our cinema vocabulary that you can't even see it. It's like someone's invisible to you. just Because that, you know, one of the things you learn when you study film is there are certain things we do that mean something and they don't have to mean something. You just, from watching enough films, there's just cheats. Um, you know, the, the one I always talk about, The Great Train Robbery, is the fact that if you cut from one place to another place and cut back and you go back and forth between them, that says to you, oh, it's happened concurrently. There's no reason to say that it has to be the truth. You know what I'm saying? But that's just how... This film has worked in enough time that people just, oh, that's what it is, and you, you accept that. Um, so, this was the first set that really had a, a block with a theme to it. Um, previous blocks, obviously, there's a the carryover mechanics. You know what I'm saying? We introduce, we introduce two mechanics and that runs through the block. Um, but it didn't quite have the, the theme. This set was like, we're about gold cards. We're gonna, there's going to be a lot of multi-color cards, and we're going to make you play a lot of colors, and the things that we chose to do were all to that theme. So that's another big difference um, between Invasion is, once you have a theme, once your block is about something, like early on, we would have two mechanics for every large fall set, and they had necessarily nothing to do with each other. It's flanking and phasing. It is uh, buyback and echo, or not Echo, sorry, Buyback and um, Shadow. It's Echo in Cycling. You know, they, they were just things in which, well, what, what exactly did these have to do with each other? And the answer is, in some cases, like Tempest, I managed to make them mechanically sort of have tension with each other, but, but they didn't really connect to each other. So once you start getting to Invasion, it's like, okay, our mechanics are going to serve a larger picture of what we're doing here. Um, and, you know, so um, we get to Invasion... Uh, it introduces kicker, which is uh, a pretty big deal. Um, I've, I've talked a lot about this. Kicker is a huge technology, and I, if I could roll back time, I would not have introduced kicker as kicker. I would have made a subset of it, and you know, it it was boost and it makes your spells bigger or something. I, mean, I, I would have done a subset of it so that that. But the idea of you know, well, we had done it on, uh, on one of cards. Kicker is the first time we really grasped the idea. Well, I can't take that back. Buyback actually was in Tempest. Um, I think... I guess buyback was the first time we had done it. Kicker was the first time we sort of broadened it out a little bit and understood that the value of having extra mana to extra effects. Um, and we definitely go a little bit broad with it. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of other minor themes in Invasion that ended up becoming important. Um, like, we had the Divi mechanic. Well, that was not, not a name mechanic, but you divide things in piles. I guess Factor Fiction being the most famous one. But the idea is, okay, I, I divide things into two piles and my opponent picks. It's a mechanic we've, we've gone back to time and again. That's something that's fun little mini-games. Uh, I, I think we uh, started stumbling upon the idea that making your, you and your opponent do something, as long as it doesn't take too much time, um, can be kind of fun where there's a, there's a game, there's some skill testing. This is the kind of thing we found that Spikes like that the other players enjoy, which is, You know what? Yeah, Spike's much better at Fact or Fiction than someone who's not into the minutiae of it, but it's still fun to do. Um, Like, the mistake with Rhystic is, here's something Spikes would enjoy. Would anybody else enjoy it? Eh, not really. Fact or Fiction, Spikes would enjoy, but uh, other people like it? Yeah, yeah, they would. Um, You know, Invasion also, uh, obviously with, I mean, starting with Tempest, we started telling the story, or Light. We started telling the story, and you start seeing some of that coming through. Um... A lot of Invasion was about the actual invasion of the Frexians and the defense by um, the Dominarians to stop it. So you start to see the coalition come together and stuff like that. Um, Invasion also, although it was unnamed at the time, had a domain mechanic. Um, The idea of pushing toward playing more colors. uh, And that was a big Invasion theme of trying to say, hey, let's get you to play more colors. Now, the funny thing about Invasion is, and once again, this is us learning something by not doing it correctly, is we did a a multicolored set where we really didn't support you with the mana. Um, Now, the interesting thing is, for the first time ever, um, we made the dual lands that came into play tapped. Um, That was something we had been afraid to do, and we had just hired Randy Bueller off the Pro Tour, and Randy was like, look, these lands are fine. In fact, we, we need to have lands like this and later, it turned out that we could go We could go even farther, that we were we, we were so hesitant about dual lands that kind of... We were, we were so skittish that we were sort of not... We had more room to push where dual lands could go without quite getting to, you know, traditional dual lands. Um, but Randy really... It was interesting. Randy really pushed us, and finally we said, OK, OK. Now, in retrospect, you know, the tap lands are, are like... What else do you get with it? Like that, that's not even something we would do without usually... Um, I mean, we do them sometimes, the beginner product, but it's something in which usually we, we give you extra, extra stuff on top of that. Either they're gates or whatever, something else. You gain life or, you know, things that there's extra bonus for maybe you want to play these. Um, but anyway, Invasion definitely taught us an important lesson of respecting mana in a multicolor set. Um, you know, but I, I think Invasion was a lot of fun of sort of having us embrace themes. Okay, Plane Shift. So Plane Shift messed around with a couple things. Um, one thing is uh, it did something called gating, which once again wasn't a named mechanic. But what gating cards were is they were multicolored cards that you had to bounce a creature of that color when you played it. Um, so they were aggressively costed, but built into it was the idea that you bounce things. And um, I really think gating has become something that we have learned as an interesting tool for magic. Um, sometimes there's there's uh, usually the way gating works is you have no choice you just have to do that uh, we we sometimes do opt into gating where you can if you want the cool thing about gating is that it has this clever moment where there's reasons sometimes what why you want to return things and then not only do you get to sort of get this thing cheaper but the negative can be a positive. Um, and that's a theme that we've played a lot into, of giving you a negative, but making things in such a way that under the right circumstances, it might not be a negative. Um, and that there's a lot of fun um, card building, card crafting, if you will, um, where you sort of let people make that discovery and feel clever for finding the way around it. Um, and so we've gotten more and more into the space of, that. I mean, we, we do still give you pure negatives, we do downside, mecha- downside mechanics. I don't do downside mechanics much these days. But we do downside cards, um, but even more so, what we tend to find now is things that where there's sort of a cost to them. It's something that there's potential upsides if you work correctly on it, um, and that that is a theme we've we've done again and again. Um, that that to me is probably the biggest takeaway of, of plane shift. Um, apocalypse. So apocalypse was interesting. Um, the story behind apocalypse basically is. Originally, we had put all ten colors into Invasion. Um, It was a little much, and I also realized. uh, So Henry and I came up this uh, at the same time that if we save something, it would give definition to the final set. That Apocalypse, you know, being the enemy set, was the first not large set that had an identity. Really, that was that wasn't a flavor identity. Um, I mean, some of the early small sets had a theme to them, obviously, Antiquities and Nights and stuff. Um, but w- once we're in the block era, the idea that this block has a mechanical identity to it, this is really the precursor of that. In fact, Apocalypse, in many ways, is kind of the precursor to block planning. Because before that, we really didn't plan out our blocks. I mean, we sort of like, we're going here, we'll do more, we'll do more. Sometimes we saved a little space on where to evolve the mechanic. But Apocalypse was the first time we said, you know what? We're going to do this theme, which which people might want, but we're going to hold back on it, and then we're going to pay it off. And so Apocalypse really sort of set the standard of, and it was the most popular third block in a long, long, long time. Um, In fact, even years past it. I mean, there's not a lot of third blocks that had kind of the popularity because we really hit a strong theme people wanted. And and to me, in fact, it's kind of funny. um, For as popular as Apocalypse is. We really have not done a lot of enemy sets. Um, I know I tried to make dragons an enemy set and ended up changing, but um, it is still something we don't do all that often. Uh, it is on the short list. We'll get there. Um, but it, it is something that really excites players. And one of the other things in Invasion, um, it wasn't really until Ravnica we learned this lesson, but um, I, I think we started to realize the, the love the audience has for, for enemy stuff that early on in Magic, we really sort of Push the ally and sort of made it harder to play the, the enemy. Um, we did that for thematic reasons of, like, well, allies get along well, but enemies, they, they struggle to get along. And, like, while it thematically made sense from a flavor standpoint, it just wasn't good gameplay. Like, why, why are we cutting down the options of things that you could do? Um, and so I think Apocalypse really started to get us to understand the attractiveness of, of the enemies... I mean, Ravnica is the first set where I said, look, we're going to do evenly. When I get to Ravnica, I'll talk about that. But I I think the lessons of Apocalypse influenced how I made Ravnica, which was the next gold um, block, obviously, a few years later. Um, you know, Apocalypse also... The other thing that we had done in um, Plane Shift and uh, Apocalypse Interesting is that Mike and I had both come with different ways to play around with um, using um, Kicker. And we ended up doing... Uh, the battle mages in in uh, Plane Shift and the volvers in um, Apocalypse um, both were interesting technology. Uh, the battle mages really played around with the idea that a card can have built-in choices that you can make. And um, uh, I mean, charms, I guess, predate the battle mage, but it definitely sort of showed us how we can use choice and when you cast something, you have some options. And that also the idea that you can choose A, B, or A and B. Probably down the road would um, lead to entwine, which is, you know, in Mirrodin coming up. Um, Volvers were interesting in that the Volvers sort of said to us that how do we tackle memory issues? And the idea there was I make choices, and depending on my choices, I mark my card differently. So the way Volvers worked was you could kick for a smaller thing and get a plus one plus one counter and an ability, or kick for a larger and get two plus one counters and an ability. Um, and so the idea is, you always knew kind of what—and you, you could kick both. Um, the idea is, well, if I had one counter or two counter or three counters, that told me what I had done. And so it was a neat idea of figuring out how to do memory. Um, and I, I think the volvers was us starting to play around a little bit more with having things be different, but finding ways to help you remember that they're different. Um, it's kind of funny because today, really, I just talked about two, mechanics, uh, two blocks, which is Mercadian Masks and Invasion. In a lot of ways, they were very different blocks in that Mercani masks did a lot of things, made a lot of mistakes, sort of educated us on what we were doing and sort of taught us how not to do things. And Invasion sort of paved things and did things correctly that helped us understand how to do things. So they both were very informative blocks, but in kind of different, different ways. But anyway, I am now at work. So hopefully you guys are enjoying this Magic Evolution series. Um, it's neat to sort of go back and look at things and understand from sort of a technical standpoint. So I hope you guys are enjoying it, but anyway, I'm at work. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. See you next time.